2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from arsenalvision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot and Tim will be discussing the 2-1 defeat, away to Everton at Goodison Park. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange feeling—the whole getting beaten in the league, lark. Not really used to it. Ever since the start of the season, when obviously we lost to another Merseyside team, um, we've been winning like pretty much every week, almost. And um, then it's, it's, it's been feeling quite quite normal. So um, having to experience a defeat again after a while feels a bit painful. But it's going to happen. If you expect to win every game from now to the end of the season, then you're deluding yourself because um, it's going to be ups and downs throughout the season with every team and then unfortunately we've had a really bad week because everyone else won it seemed. can't remember the last time that happened. Arsenal getting beaten is bad enough as it is but when it, when all of our rivals win as well just adds to the horrible taste of disgustingness. So, as far as I'm concerned this week can take a run and jump off a cliff and uh, consign it to history and let, let's try and get a, a good result against Man City away. As tough as it is, I know I know we just got spanked by Leicester, but make no mistake, they're gonna to be tough. A very, very attacking team. So should make for an interesting game. Anyway, that's that game. I'm rambling. So enjoy the podcast and back after that one. So yeah. Goodbye.
1: Season ends in Merseyside as Arsenal fall two one to Everton. And Twitter melts down. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, YankeeGunner. Um, Paul can't be here because it was a loss, and he is contractually prohibited from discussing anything negative. So we do have Tim. Uh, he is on Twitter at Stilberto. You can read his fine work all over the place. Tim, thank you for joining us in this. A very depressing and dark hour for Arsenal fans.
3: Yeah, I was going to say pleasure, but um, we'll see, shall we?
1: We'll see. You know, all kidding aside, I mean, it is kind of weird how we can be on a great run, playing good football, lots to be optimistic about, and a single loss away, and a fairly tricky fixture immediately Mm. leads people down Doom's Road towards Doomsville, population us. But I think it is a valid point that there's going to be a real challenge uh, at the top this season among quality clubs that are not going to drop a lot of points, and... If Chelsea holds serve tonight, it's six points, and then we have to go to City and try not to lose at risk of falling nine points back. So while I think it's way too early for doom and gloom, um, it was a match that we probably needed to win. I think it was against a team mm. that was vulnerable. So let's start first just with, with the lineups, as we often do, Tim, because mm. that's the thing that happens just before the match. Um, still, as far as I'm aware. And uh, I guess... Is this the settled first choice 11 now? I mean, are we starting to believe that this is what Arsene Wenger sees as his best 11?
3: Pretty much, yeah. Um, It looks like Chamberlain is slightly getting the nod over Alex Uobi, and there were certainly no surprises um, in the team. I would have been interested to see what would have happened had Ramsey been available, um, whether he would have wanted to put Ramsey maybe on the left um, or something like that, because I think, basically we've spoken about this on the last few pods you know the the last couple of games we've kind of gone for a quote-unquote knife fight um where we've been you know a little light in midfield kind of playing with a four with two central midfielders but we've had the individuals to help make the difference so when we're not controlling the midfield it was it's not a huge problem i think it was a problem last night i think this was a fixture too far for it um really and i i really think and um you know, this isn't just hindsight. I really felt at the time that he should have picked Alex Iwobi. Um, you know, someone to just drop back into that midfield and help us keep the ball and recycle the ball. Um, I, I really feel that would have been a better call than Chamberlain. Not that Chamberlain did anything wrong or, you know, even necessarily had that bad a game. Um, I just felt like Iwobi was the sort of player we needed just to kind of... Shore up isn't the right word because, you know, Iwobi's not exactly... Defensively hugely sound, or, or or anything like that. But I think technically, just to shore it up, um, and I think our midfield did get a little bit overrun um, at times. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to the substitutions. But um, I also felt he then made a mistake in taking Chamberlain off. If you're going to put Giroud on, if you're going to put Giroud on, you should keep Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on, um, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I, I felt you know we we took Arson hit the gamble button really with trying to go with this four in midfield and two fairly out and out wingers, although they they tend to come inside quite a bit. And this was just a fixture a little bit too far. And yeah. I did sense in the last fifteen to twenty minutes a little bit of legginess um, and whether we just there wasn't enough short rotation over the last fortnight or so. Um, that said, I wasn't really surprised by the lineup. It was pretty much what I expected.
1: Yeah, I, I just don't know that I believe that you can play Theo and Ox together. I just don't know that that gives us enough control in midfield. And you look at it, and Walcott had 14 touches and Oxlade-Chamberlain had 23. Uwobi played 20 minutes and had 14 touches. Theo completed 71% of his passes, Oxlade-Chamberlain 78%. Uwobi completed 85.5%. So, I mean, if you extrapolate that out, that's... Awobi getting, you know, nearly double or triple the amount of touches and completing fifteen percent more of his passes. And I know it's kinda of hard to just use statistics to tell the story, but we've seen it also when he plays. He just is able to come into midfield and add that extra linking option and stitch things together a little bit more between a Shaka or a Cochran to the extent that Cochran participates mm-hmm. in the build-up, and an Ozil, and it allows Ozil to stay more advanced. the The thing that we have seen the last couple of games is Ozil dropping much deeper. Now, yeah. that may be by design, or it may just be the effect of not having that extra body in midfield to link with him. But I think it, if you're the opposition, you want Mesut Ozil. 20 yards further from goal, 30, 40 yards further from goal. Um, And that's kind of what we saw a lot of of times on on, uh, Tuesday night. I think it's interesting also that Ozil didn't have a great game. And we will get to some of the moments of the match because I actually thought we started pretty brightly. But let's get to the Mm. talking point that I think you and I both want to discuss because it relates back to something you said that I thought was very sage. I I asked the question whether it was smart not to rotate for Basel. And look, I get it. Mm. We won that match and we topped the group. And granted, we were rewarded with Bayern, but the alternative would have been being rewarded with uh, Barcelona. Mm. But I still think that if you are a big club with a strong squad and a game that has at least ahead of the match appears to have limited relevance to your season... You have to trust your backup players, your squad players, to Mm. go to Basel and get a result, or at least play well enough to potentially get a result. He didn't, and we theorized at the time that we wouldn't know the effects of that gamble until we saw the performances over the next, I I said six matches, but you said specifically these next three, three and eight days. Mm. It was Ozil's, arguably Ozil's worst performance of the entire season. He completed just 80% of his passes. He missed one very presentable chance that I think a player of his quality should be finishing. But more than anything, just so many opportunities on the counter and in possession where players were in space and he just misjudged the passes. I I said that his rangefinder was slightly miscalibrated on the night. Was this exactly what you were concerned about when you said, we won't know the impact of Basel until we see the performance over the next three games?
3: Yeah, a little bit. And obviously, you know, What what's that saying? Correlation doesn't exactly mean causation. Doesn't always mean causation Mm -hmm. exactly. So um but I did think they looked a little bit leggy, particularly in the last twenty minutes or so. Um and I agree with you in that um I think that our, our our second string could have beaten Basel. They're they're not very good at the moment. They're in very poor form domestically. I think the I I was speaking to somebody out there um, in Switzerland who said that they'd lost the game before they played us 3-1 at home to 10 men to a team who were in like the bottom five or six. They're in a really bad moment. Um, and I really think we could have trusted our second string to win it. Although Wenger, you know, gave his reasons as kind of, you know, momentum. And sometimes it, it kind of, um, hurts players more to give them a game off. Um, but well, I, I mean, we know, saw I... it.
1: We, we we shelled Ludigritz away and drew nil-nil mm. with Burrow the following game. And again, I get your point about correlation and causation. But is the argument then, Tim, that if you don't rotate for the Basel game, you really, really kind of need to think about rotating for this game just two days after yeah. after the game at the weekend. I mean, he wanted his cake and, and he wanted to eat it too. You can't mm. play the same 11 in Basel and then play him in these two games, can you?
3: No, I I don't think so. And I I just don't think there was quite enough short rotation. There was a measure of rotation against Basel. You know, the likes of Lucas Perez came in and Ramsey played in midfield with Granit Xhaka. Um, Fair
1: point. I think we're talking Ozil and Alexis specifically. Exactly.
3: That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And I felt not so much in Alexis, but in Ozil, we maybe paid the price for that. Um, at Everton on Tuesday, you're right. It was it was by far his his worst performance of the season. His radar was was very much off, and um, yeah, I, I I had the regret um, in the wake of the draw with Middlesbrough because you know we beat Ludogorets six 0 and you know it's very nice that Ozil got his hat trick in the last twenty minutes or so, but I don't think he should have been on the pitch. And then against Middlesbrough, both he and Alexis looked. You know their their beam was a little bit off, and that probably cost us the three points. So, for the sake of beating Ludogorets six nil instead of three nil, we drop league points. Um, and I, I think something similar has probably happened here. Although there were other factors at play, um, I don't think the team selection was quite right um, for Everton for the reasons I've given. I thought. And I know we'll go into this. I thought the substitutions were... Well, well, yeah, of the we'll substitutions come on to the substitutions, was, definitely. Yeah, it was very, very poor, a very bad idea. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we speculated a couple of pods ago, I think, as to whether Wenger was kind of getting the hang of the rotation thing. Um, because he's got the squad to do it now, that kind of short rotation, that two players or so... Um, in each game, but he seems to have kind of shied away from that now for the last few games. And you know, we've got, we've got a really really tricky away game on Sunday, and you know, it's it's hard to see him making too many changes to the lineup um, at this point. And it's it's hard to see well, who or what. But... Let's come on to
1: City in just a minute, because I actually have mm-hmm. sort of a weird theory that this lineup might be perfect for playing City, while I don't think it was against Everton. But the match started pretty well, Tim. I mean, we we mm. didn't seem to have them on the ropes, and the pressing was working, and we pressed them. They When they wanted to play long, we looked vulnerable. But when they wanted to play out from the back, they looked like a dumpster fire. And we created a lot of problems for them, and a lot of those problems weren't capitalized on because of the aforementioned lack of sharpness from players like Ozil, who just sort of mm. missed that, that ball that was on. Um, because his, his range finder was just kind of miscalibrated, however you want to put it. Um, but we got the goal through Alexis, through the free, ki- free kick, maybe a little fortuitously. But that's where I felt we had the opportunity to win the game. The crowd was on mm. their back a little bit. They, they looked a little bit defeated mentally. They were playing mm. um, in a shell, and we had them under the caution. Would you say that where we really blew this game was by not, Pressing our advantage right after the first goal and and putting the game away in that period.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Because then, if um, your legs are a bit heavy in the last twenty minutes, it it matters far less when you've got you know you, when you're protecting a lead. Um, and you know the, the point you make it's it's a well made point about Everton's current form and there's a bit of dissatisfaction around at the moment and the the crowd did get quite grumpy and I, I really felt. I felt at all times, actually, as though our attack, um, given better supply, our our attack, and Alexis in particular, could really have really hurt them, Um, but we just weren't good enough at getting the ball to him or running off of him, um, which, in fairness, we've done pretty well to this point this season, that Alexis is this kind of catalyst because he vacates the space and that invites other players to run into it. but. We didn't seem to quite do that, um, and we just we just didn't get him enough of the ball. Um, but I felt Everton looked vulnerable defensively, and I think had our build-up play been a little bit better, I really think there there were goals in uh, more goals in this game for him. Um, and then around about kind of 35 minutes or so, it, it changed a bit. Um, I also think that possibly Bellerin wasn't quite fit for 90 minutes yet. Um, I do understand why we brought him in, A, because he's such a good player and he, he makes such a difference, and B, because we haven't got Mustafi, so I, I understand he's a bit reluctant to make too many changes at the back, but um, I, f- I felt like he wasn't quite fit. Um, he certainly didn't seem to have that burst of acceleration, and I think that affected all game as well. So, But ultimately, if we could have got Alexis the ball 25-30 yards from goal a bit more or had you know, teammates made good runs when he dropped deep to pick up the ball, I really think there were more goals in it for us. I, I never felt, until until Giroud came on, I never felt that we were done as an attacking force, even when we weren't playing yeah. that well. The, the minute he came on, the crab
1: passing sort of started. Um, yeah. We had that sort of lateral lull you to sleep passing at about the 35-yard mark you know, out from their goal. We'll, we'll come on to that in a minute, but I, I think there were a couple things I noticed in this game, and I want to take them one at a time. First of all, um, the impact of not having Mustafi, not defensively, but in buildup. Um, mm. We've seen him be so important. The phrase line-breaking passes is, is almost becoming um, a cliche at this point, but vertical passes that do break the lines, that go through midfield, that create attacks, that allow players to start a few yards more advanced um, was not having Mustafi choking off our build up a little bit and maybe changing the positioning of the players at the start of our build up.
3: a little bit yeah I th- so I think a couple of things happened I think that uh, kind of happened so then you've really only got Granite Jacker who's who's doing that um, and you know also if we don't have that then having Bellerin kind of running the flank is very handy because it's another way of getting the ball up the pitch quite mm-hmm. quickly but Again, he, he was he was lacking in sharpness, really, understandably. So I think, yes, I think those two things did have an effect. And um, I, I said to Paul on the last pod, you know, I, I felt we'd miss Mustafi more for that than for defensive reasons, um, because again, I thought I thought you know Gabriel had a decent enough game and he's been playing fairly well over the last few weeks, and and I, I don't think, but but the, what he can't replace is is that passing, and particularly when we don't have Cazorla as well, although Jack, the presence of Jaka kind of mitigates that a little bit. Um, but yes, I, I do think that had an effect on our build-up play, which for me was all the more reason to, to play somebody like Iwobi to give us a little bit more technical security.
1: Mm-hmm. I I think it, it's becoming problematic having Theo and Oxlade-Chamberlain playing together simply because... It gives us one way of attacking. And I don't know that you can always count on those those lightning fast counterattacks. I mean, if you look at what happened against West Ham, for example, where Oxlade Chamberlain was just running uncovered through the middle of the field for large periods of the game, like that's just, there are not a lot of scenarios where that's going to be allowed to happen. Um, and you can't expect the game to flow that way, although, ironically, that may be exactly how it flows uh, on Sunday. And we'll come to that in a minute. But I want to talk about Granite Chaka for a second because. You know, he completed 91.7% of his passes. He was tidy. He did some of the things we expect him to do. But there were two things I noticed about him in this game. The first I want to touch on is just how incredibly left-footed he is. Um, you know, when Kazorla plays that role, he's very two-footed, as we know. And he's very, very quick to turn, to move, to shift the ball, to get in a position to make passes. Shaka turns a lot slower. If he receives the ball on his right, it takes him a long time to whip around to get it onto his left. He does not want to play passes with his right foot, not even little shift-the-ball passes or flick-on kind of passes. He's always going to shift it to his left. Did you notice at all, because I I seem to see times when I thought there were opportunities to build up more quickly and and get the ball up the pitch quicker, but Shaka's need to turn, get it on his left, and and reposition himself sort of choked off those opportunities and gave Everton the chance to get back in his space. Do you have any concerns about just how incredibly left-footed Shaka is for someone who's playing in the middle of the pitch, especially... Because on a few occasions when he was pressed and it was on his right foot, uh, he he got himself into trouble.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, it's one of my absolute bugbears um, with professional footballers not being two-footed. Obviously, I'm not even close to the standard of these guys. But um, when I play, I'm pretty two-footed, and um, it really didn't take much to become two-footed. It was just could be mistaken for
1: Santi Cazorla in stature, <laughs> in stature, and quality.
3: Uh, well, yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, not in quality. <laughs> I, 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 n- maybe not. I, I mean, I literally just did it, kicking a ball against um, my garage with my left foot, and it really didn't take long. But um, yes, absolutely, I think that is a concern, particularly for a central midfielder. Um, it's always been a big concern of mine with Jack Wilshere, um, who is, you know, a bit like Jack, a very, very left-footed, and it can make you predictable and. Um, I see this with a lot of players, and, and Nacho's another one. Nacho Monreal's another one who's guilty of this. Sometimes he doesn't look for the forward pass because it means playing it with his right foot, so he checks back inside and comes backwards on his left. And that and those little things, they affect the build-up. And yes, I, I do think that's a concern, and obviously everybody is going to know that Jacker is very left-footed. So um, you can see... What the what the opposition are going to do from this point? They're just going to keep pressing him and trying to get him on his right.
1: And that's that's um, a lot more dangerous in in a deep lying midfielder than it is in say you know a winger, where indeed. the vulnerability there and the ability to to slow down an attack simply by shielding someone off of one of their feet is is really problematic.
3: Yeah, it is. And you know, I mean, Jack, when he gets the ball, he he moves it very very quickly. It's not just because um you know he does those line breaking passes but he also tends to do them quite quickly and that's that's one of his great strengths so yes when he's messing about cutting the ball back onto his left foot we lose a bit of that we lose one of his most useful qualities um for us so yes i, I think those things do um do kind of make our build up a little bit more stodgy uh, he's far from the only culprit i think most footballers are like that but um it's interesting because Benga said something the other week about you know why is it left-footed players are always noticeably one-footed. Um, I reckon it's probably because there's fewer of them and therefore they're really encouraged when they're younger to use their left foot. I mean, I like I said, I, I always, always, always ended up kind of playing over towards the left when I played just because I can use my left foot. And so it's like, right... You're not quite left- footed, but you can use it so you go over there kind of thing and I think this this does create a kind of a, a kind of thing where left-footed players are very, very left- footed. Um,
1: I can tell you this i'm I'm left-handed and I don't know what it is, but I can't even like pick things up with my right hand it It is a totally useless appendage. like I can't even get myself off with it. I can't even do the stranger <laughs> like there's there's nothing that it's good for. and I don't know if that's a trait of left-handed other left-handed people or left-footed people, but I do wonder if there's something to that, because I think people I know who are right-handed can kind of vaguely sort of use their left. I, I yeah. can't even sign uh, a, a bill or a check with my right hand. Like I, It's useless for me.
3: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one, really. But um, to kind of row it back to the question, I suppose. Uh, with, we, we don't
1: really do that here, but that, feel free.
3: <laughs> but obviously that's that's a bit, and obviously that's, that's part of what makes Santi Cazorla so valuable. Um, is his two foot in this, particularly in that part of the pitch, because it just it gives you a measure of unpredictability. Yeah. Um, because you know your opponent doesn't know which way you're going to go, and you're comfortable going either way. And uh, it's not just the fact that he's got tidy feet um, and good close control that gives him an extra edge. Um, and yeah, we. Frankly, we lose that a little bit with Jack there.
1: Yeah, and I noticed it for the first time last night that when the ball was given to him on his right foot, often he would just use his left to shuffle it back to the center back, whereas when yeah. the ball is given to him on his left foot in a position where he can look up the pitch quicker, that's when he, he plays the more uh, penetrative passes. Um, I like that word, penetrative. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. And, again, I, I think he was far from the biggest problem on the night, but it was the first time I really noticed it in play. Now, look, they equalized through a piece of play that I actually thought is really hard to defend. I mean, the ball in is really good. I think it's tough for the keeper to come there. It's tough to defend that ball. You know, you can criticize Theo, but Theo did chase back. He just dove in too much. And this was something I noticed all night. Players diving in to make a first challenge and overcommitting. Do you put the blame on Theo there for overcommitting to the first challenge or do you say hey he did his job he shifted him on to his weaker foot and he just delivered an amazing cross with his weaker foot
3: yeah a, a little bit because you're right he he made the effort to get over there but yeah he dived in and then after that he didn't really make an attempt to go back and have a second go he just kind of thought oh well I've done my bit I, I tried you know it's a hell um, of a weak
1: foot cross though right I mean that, that's a it is ball. yeah
3: Well, indeed, and having just made the point about left-footed players, you know, there there are a few kind of more left-footed than than Leighton Baines, but but that shows you when you're at least willing to use it, Um, they got a goal from that, whereas, you know, he might have been tempted just to cut the ball back inside on his left and start to build play again. Um, So I think a little bit has to go on Theo um, for not really, you know, making a solid attempt, second attempt for the ball. But you're right, I think once the cross comes in, um, I, I don't really attach any blame to anyone. Um, it's a really, really good ball in. You're right, the goalkeeper can't really come for that. It's, you know, it's it's an excellent ball. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to defend, um, to be quite honest from that point. But what's kind of interesting is Theo's starting position is very, very central. And um, I think Anam... Uh, Arsenal column wrote about this on our blog on Monday about how the wingers have been kind of you know their starting position is actually fairly central um, to allow the full backs to to kind of create the width and so Walcott's position when the ball comes over is quite central um, and maybe for that reason but then it makes you think well was Bellerin supposed to be a bit further over Mm -hmm. than he was because he wasn't really on the scene at any point and like I said, I think a fitter Bellerin might have got over there himself.
1: Yeah, it was a really weird match in a lot of ways because it was very frenetic, but not very high on quality. Um, I, You know, I don't think this was a game people talk about. They wanted it more. We didn't fight. We didn't, I don't believe that. There was a lot of running around. There was a lot of energy and effort expended. I just didn't feel that there was sharpness and quality. And I think that's what happens when players have to play four games in 12 days or whatever it's, you know, in this case, it's three games in a week. And, it it goes back to the question of the value of rotating, which is you lose quality in terms of the players you're bringing in for the players you're subbing out, but you, you gain sharpness, and potentially that extra sharpness makes the difference. I think it was interesting to watch what happened in the second half. Um, I don't know that anybody really got hold of the game. They took the lead late uh, on a corner kick, and I think we knew that we were going to be vulnerable on set pieces. Um, Mm. given their size and their strength. And, I I mean, Lukaku actually didn't really do much to us. But one of the things that was troubling was the way the game started to peter out for us, at at least up until the late flourish, when the substitutions were made. So let's come on to that now.
3: Mm.
1: I think Iwobi for Oxley Chamberlain, and Perez for Theo makes sense to me. We were struggling Mm. to get anything from either wide player, really, Um, and we definitely needed that extra controller, that extra person to link play. The problem was Giroud. Is this a case where the manager had in his mind who the subs were going to be and didn't really uh, adapt or adjust to the game situation?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It was that. This was a substitution he probably dreamed up two days ago and showed no flexibility. Um, You know, I, I, I can't think he would have, he would have thought that that was the right substitution to make, um, having watched the game. Um, it was not what we needed at all. Like I said, I still thought Alexis was very dangerous, um, and basically we just our problems were in the build-up. We needed kind of an extra body um, in the midfield, and you know it, it showed when Awobi came on. You you mentioned his stats. He also had two shots on goal. Yep, um, one so, one you know, that we
1: really needed him to score.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. And, you know, that shows you the effect he kind of had on the game when he came on as well. And, and not only were none of our problems solved by bringing on someone like Giroud, who, you know, it just killed us in a, as an attacking force because uh, particularly if you take off Chamberlain at the same time, I think there's an argument, perhaps if you keep Chamberlain on, who's you know, capable of getting to the byline and swinging a cross in, as we saw against Man United, but to take him off and put Giroud on, so that Giroud is now playing with a bunch of attackers with whom he doesn't really have much of a relationship because of his style, was, was just... Um, it's not like we were getting into wide positions and chucking crosses in and there was nobody there. That's not how the game was panning out. But also, not only did we pretty much die as an attacking force at that point, I thought defensively it made no sense as well because Everton were starting to go very direct. They were starting to go front to back very, very quickly um, from the centre backs, and not having Alexis there to start the press um, because Giroud just doesn't press centre halves. It's not what he does, and so Jagielka and um, the other Everton centre half, whose name escapes me, Ashley they basically Williams? Ashley Williams. That's it. They basically just had carte blanche to launch the ball forward and put our centre halves under pressure, and then what's it? And I'm not blaming Giroud for the. Well, I'm not blaming Giroud really for any of this. It's not his style. We know that. It's the manager's fault for putting him on and then not playing to his strengths, um, and also because the game didn't really call for his strengths. But and this is going to sound really, really harsh, but then at least you can kind of say, well, you know, Giroud gives us a bit of presence defending set pieces and Everton are good on set pieces and then you know to concede from a corner and like I say that's not his fault but one of the arguments you could make from a defensive point of view is that he gives us a bit of defensive presence and then we go and concede from a set piece anyway so we didn't even get that very small crumb um, of benefit from having in there and I, I just thought I thought it was insane. I really did. When it happened, I, I was just like, "What? Like th- this is just the last thing I could think of, and whether last thing I thought that would help, and whether it is just because he dreamed it up a couple of days ago and didn't want to, didn't want to deflect from that, or whether it's because he feels this kind of loyalty to Giroud, like he he feels sorry for having dropped him, and you know he feels like he has to." He has to kind of give him some game time because he's very, very sorry about having to drop him and very, very sorry that he's not getting the game time he needs. And I
1: absolutely think that plays a role in it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, he said kind of in the press, and he didn't name Giroud, but he said, you know, some players are unhappy that they're not playing. And it's like, and, and of course they're going to be, of course they're going to be. And, and I wouldn't want Giroud at Arsenal if he wasn't upset about being on the bench. But, you know... Tough shit, quite frankly. If we're playing better, then you know, I that that's you know, I'm fine on a personal level. I completely understand why you feel like that. And but you know, from Wenger's point of view, like if you've got some unhappy players, well, tough shit, you don't owe them anything. Um, you've got they are also pretty
1: well compensated. Last I checked,
3: (laughs) quite quite. And it's it's weird, there's there's some players that are some is very, very comfortable about dropping, about substituting. And then there's just some, and I think I think he still likes Giroud and he wants to keep him. And, you know, there's, there's Well, Let's be to clear, clear too. Unhappy,
1: We're but. not talking about a Serge Nabry who, you know, he's young and he's talented and you think he has a big future and the effect of not getting him in the games is that you're not going to be able to keep him at contract time. But Giroud is mm. 30 years old Um he is not someone who's going to be part of the long-term future of the club. And at this mm-hmm. point, if he's a role player and you know only someone who's going to be useful for us in certain circumstances, then that has to be his role. And if that doesn't make him happy yeah. and the best thing for the club is for him to move on, then that's yeah. fine. But there's no real strategic advantage to keeping Olivier
3: Giroud happy. No, no, I agree. And I, I said after the game to a friend of mine when I was walking out when, you know, frustration was at its, at its absolute height. And I was frustrated by this defeat. Like, some I'm more sanguine about than others, but I felt this this was really avoidable and it really annoyed me. But I, I kind of said, walking away from the ground, I kind of hope Giroud does go and it's not a reflection on him at all. And in, in fact, I think he'd be a very, very valuable player for our squad. But while you know, whether I'm right about this or not. But while I perceive that Wenger has this kind of, feels this loyalty to him, I feel it could be quite damaging to have him there if he's going to bring him on, you know, in games like last night where well, there's no real call for it. Um, maybe 10 minutes later, maybe then, but it, it just, it it completely killed us. And it just, and I really thought it would, you know, I I'm not don't think I'm being wise after the event. Um, I really, really thought that that was what was going to happen.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and I almost feel like if we've got Welbeck there, um, at least we've got someone who offers a bit of both. So he can do that like physical presence thing. He can hold the ball up. He's pretty decent in the air. He's not as good at any of those things as Giroud is. But I, I kind of just feel like... Um, I, I feel like Arsene maybe is letting his feelings, his personal feelings... Um, towards Olivier Giroud, get in the way um, a little bit. And yes, I do think it's it, he's had this accusation levelled at him many times about pre-planned substitutions, and this really just felt like it because yeah. I'd, I'd love to know what what his reason was. Otherwise,
1: well, I mean, I think the the thing that's disappointing for me about this game ultimately, and you can be annoyed at the the two goals that we conceded. I think it is not great. That we've lost twice this season, and in both cases, we were leading uh, both games. You know, I I think there has to be a balance in this team between playing free-flowing attacking football and understanding how to keep teams at arm's length. And I think the thing that was missing in this game more than anything was that element of control. It always felt very chaotic. It never felt, even when we were on top and they looked like they could shit the bed at any moment, it never felt like we had a real grip on the game. I mean, look, they had, what, 41% possession and completed 69% of their passes. They were sloppy. They were not holding the ball. We knew that where they'd be dangerous would, would be balls into the box, certainly, Um you know, and I thought we could have just done a better job controlling the game, and that leads to the question again. You know, when we talk about playing Ozil and uh, pardon me, Ox and Theo together, is that compounded, Tim, by playing Francis Cochran? I mean, when you look at Granit Xhaka, eighty-four passes, ninety-one percent, no, not dispossessed at all, and then you look at Coklin, fifty-one passes at eighty percent, dispossessed four times, I believe, um, uh, three times, and four unsuccessful touches. Is that compounding the issue? Because you say, all right, well, with Mustafi we have that extra passer. He almost kind of comes into deep midfield. But without him, you've got you've got Shaka at the base of midfield, and then you have sort of a non-factor in the build-up in Cocklin, a non-factor in Ox, a non-factor in Theo. It makes it harder for Ozil to stay more advanced and connect with uh, Alexis. And now suddenly you're really putting all of the pressure of building the play on Shaka and Ozil. And that's it mm. um is it just is it one player too far to have Cochlan, Ox, and Theo all on the pitch at the same time
3: maybe yeah i I think Cocalan is the lesser of the of the factors in there. Can I just add um, something
1: real quick? Because I, I want to make, sure. make one point. I thought he did brilliantly counter-pressing in this game. I thought he was mm-hmm. magnificent when he was on the front foot counter-pressing. I think he made some really incredible interventions in the defensive half as well. The things we expect Coughlin to be good at, I thought he was very good at in this game. I don't think this was a bad Cochran game per se, but I think Ooh. his his... Lack of participation and lack of quality in buildup and in possession means you need that extra body in the midfield. And I think that's my thesis is that that is where we more keenly feel the effect of not having one of a Wobey or Ramsey or someone on the wing who can come mm. in and add that extra body. So I'm sorry for interrupting. I just I didn't want to sound yeah, like yeah. I was piling on Coughlin because the yeah, things yeah. we want him to do well, he did well. But I think there's a knock-on effect when he's there plus Ox plus Theo.
3: Yeah, a, a little bit, but I, I think um, I do think his passing has really, really improved, and he's played a couple of brilliant passes actually um, in the last couple of games. Um, you know, not obviously he's not firing off wonderful passes regularly, nor would we really expect him to. But I think there have been one or two really, really incisive passes from him, and um, and I, you know, it was counter pressing, but obviously the free kick that led to the goal. Uh, kind of came from him and that, that weird kind of different type of creativity I suppose he brings when he when he's kind of pushing on the front foot. So yes, I think it is potentially a bit more of a factor um, and another one of maybe the... I mean, Iwobi is the substitution I would have made with kind of 25 minutes. Oh, well, I would have started Iwobi personally but Iwobi for one of Chamberlain or Walcott is, is one thing I would have done. Um, the other player would have given some thought to bringing in is own Um For for that reason, that we were kind of struggling a little bit to recycle the ball in midfield, and we're struggling to get hold on midfield.
1: A safe pair um, of feet, so to speak, just safe, yeah. controlled possession-oriented midfielder.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I, I I think it was a slight. It's a slight factor, perhaps, but I think not enough of a factor that we can't. That, that it creates a massive problem on its own, um, and for what Coquelin gives us as well, um, it you know it, it kind of there's a bit of mitigation in there. Whereas you know playing Chamberlain and Walcott at the same time, when you can just put Iwobi in, um, seems to me a, a slightly more reasonable solution. But yes, it's it's a slight factor, um, and you know the fact that we kind of lost control of the midfield, albeit though to be honest. For the last kind of half an hour, Everton, it, you know, they did kind of bypass the midfield, really.
1: Yeah, they went uh, long.
3: The, yeah, they were going front to back to, to Lukaku, which, you know, which y- you can fully understand um, why they did that. And we, you know, we, we do tend to struggle with, with that type of tactic. So it's it's a factor, but, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a huge one. I, I think basically God. the problem could be solved. Um, quite a bit more easily elsewhere.
1: Well, I mean, that—that that is kind of my point, though, right? I mean, if you bring Iwobi in for Ox, for example, you solve the problem by adding that extra bit of possession and control by swapping it out on the wing. I, I think it's just the cumulative effect of having yeah, too many yeah. players who are not part of the buildup, who don't link the play. Um, so in the final refrain... We did create some chances at the very, very end. Quick question for you: Did you feel uh, on second viewing? I'm sure in the stadium it was hard to tell, but on second viewing, did you feel that there was a foul on Alexis at the at the end?
3: Yes, the um, penalty. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually it was it was right down below me. Um, I had a very good view of it, and I I thought it was an absolute. I was kind of I was behind Alexis, so I probably had the linesman's view, but um, obviously much higher up. I was in the upper tier. I thought it was absolute stonewall. And, um, you know, I, I I was pretty livid at the time that it wasn't given. And it's particularly frustrating because we've had quite a few soft penalties awarded against us recently. And that one felt like a, a real stick-on penalty. Um, I also thought there was... And I got I got frustrated with Giroud again for not making more of the fact that uh, the, the one time we did try and put a cross in, for him, you know that he was being fouled in the area. It's the kind of foul you see all the time, but he was being fouled in the area, and he didn't make anything of it. Um, you know, he didn't go down, he didn't protest, he didn't look at the referee, and I felt at that stage he should have done that. Um, he should have, because he was genuinely being fouled, so I think he should have made more of it. And I, I'm not sure we'd have got it, but um, but yeah, a- absolutely, it looked like a foul in real time. It, I, I didn't think it was that difficult a decision. Say for the fact that it was the last minute, and he didn't really want to give it, and because in fairness, you know, Goodison is for me the loudest ground in the Premier League. They create an excellent atmosphere there, um, and it is, I think, certainly certainly wasn't for the referees. case in the
1: first half when we were leading. I mean that that's the problem. No. Right? Like we could have killed that off completely.
3: Yeah, yeah, indeed. But um, it's you know they they really get behind the team and they really get on the officials as well, um, Everton, which, you know, that they're, they're the closest thing to a 12th man in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, full full credit to them for that. Um, but yeah, that, that was absolutely a penalty. It was right under the referee's nose as well. I mean, he clearly didn't take the ball. Why he thinks Alexis would dive in that situation, I don't know. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was incredibly frustrating not to get that, particularly at that point of the game.
1: Especially then going on to have those guilt edge chances and Awobi, I mean, are you frustrated with him in that position? Should he just take that extra moment and place that ball?
3: Yeah, a little. I, you know, when you look back at the chance as well, he puts it in the one part of the goal where Leighton Baines is actually standing. Um, you know, if it would have gone the other side, there was nobody there. But really, I think you've got to make sure and you've got to put that a bit higher. Um, into the net, I, you know. It, it's it's a it's very easy to say in hindsight. It's a snap decision at the time, and and you know he was wheeling away. He thought he'd scored. He just you know, it's one of those where it it just drops nicely for you, and, and you think it's in. But yeah, on reflection, he he probably should have been a bit more precise. Either gone for the other corner or um, put a bit more height on the ball.
1: Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, it wasn't meant to be, and I think. You know, on another day where Ozil's a little sharper, there were a lot of half chances, half opportunities for him to play people in. He did have the chance that he put over the crossbar that I think on another day he he finishes. I I don't know that we were awful. I think we were just not sharp. I I hate to say we lacked sharpness because that's, sort of Arsene Wenger's cliche, but I think that might have been the case here. I don't think Everton were very good. My regret is mm. when we get outplayed, I mean, there are games I can remember with the past few seasons where we've lost to Swansea we've lost to Southampton. You have to hold your hands up and say, they beat us. They were a better team than us. I thought mm. Everton were fairly poor um, yes. and sloppy, and we just didn't have the sharpness and the quality on the day to punish them for it. Um, so I, I want to talk City briefly, but I also quickly want to get to sort of the... Um, a post-mortem on this and the question is you can't throw your toys out of the pram just because we lose a game I mean you're going to lose games it's only our second loss of the season but realistically if Chelsea holds serve we're six back and we're going to City at the weekend how damaging do you think this is in the scheme of things
3: yeah I think it's quite damaging I don't think we could afford to lose particularly when you look at Um, Chelsea's next four fixtures um, at the time of recording, they haven't kicked off against Sunderland yet but I think they've got Sunderland, Bournemouth, Stoke and Crystal Palace and you're not expecting them, you know, much change out of 12 points for that so um, I do think it's quite damaging, I don't think we could afford to lose it, I think it does make Sunday against City a must win um, now whereas, you know a, a draw might have been a half decent result had we done the business against Everton I and, think 3 or know, 4
1: points from these 2 would have been acceptable not you know not optimal yeah. certainly but acceptable but losing to Everton now means you kind of have to win. You can't you can't yeah. go 9 points back, can you?
3: Yeah, exactly and not least because um we've come into the period of the season now where Chelsea's advantage of not playing in Europe goes away. They don't have that now till February. And so really this is when we need to be eating in uh and you know, eating into their lead and going above them really because, come February they get that advantage back again, and if we're six to nine points behind them, or further, you know, in February when the fixtures pile up for us again, then it, it's looking it will look very very difficult. And not least because we have to go there, um, we have to go to Man City yet, we have to go to Tottenham, we have to go to Liverpool. We've got some big away fixtures coming up, um, and so it does start to look a little bit bleak if Chelsea don't drop some points soon and you know I think we pretty much have to beat Man City and I think you know beating Man City as much about you know catching Chelsea as it is putting a little bit of distance between us and City as well and really making you know really trying to make the title a kind of two-horse race Um, so yeah I, I think it's it's incredibly damaging and the thing that slightly concerns me as well is that I think City are there for the taking, um, but I, I don't know whether the confidence of the team will be checked by this result against Everton. I don't know if you remember a couple of seasons ago, we had this really frustrating thing where our big games were grouped together. And so what happened was we'd lose one of them and then we'd go into the subsequent one, subsequent one quite conservatively, quite timidly.
1: The best example um, that, I can remember that is the 6-0 hammering against Chelsea that led to the most <clears throat> dire 0-0 against United you've yeah. ever seen in your
3: life. Exactly, and I, I think if we'd have won or even just not lost um, on Tuesday night against Everton, you go into that City game and you say, right, they're not defending well, let's go and attack them. Um, and I think that's what we should do. But whether the confidence is the same after Tuesday, um, you know, I, I've think, for example, if he's fit, he might go for, like, Ramsey on the left or something like that. Um, and he might. I, basically, I think that, you know, playing this kind of four midfielders with two out-and-out wingers, I think that would probably... I'd probably rather have done that at City than Everton. I couldn't uh, agree
1: more. Yeah, I was just going to say the irony is this lineup is probably perfect against a team in City who does not seem to have the slightest capability of defending... Uh, quick counter attacks.
3: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but now I think you know the manager's confidence might be a little bit hurt, um, and he might be slightly more conservative in his selection. I, you know, we don't know what kind of psychological effect it has on the players and their approach to the game as well.
1: But he's not but dumb th- either, right? He's going to look at the Leicester game and how Leicester took City apart. And he's, he's going to see that, right? I mean, I know, I know we're not really a team that, that builds our tactics on the opposition we're facing, and Pep certainly is not does not or doesn't appear to be that way. Uh, he wants to do what he wants to do. But surely the manager will have seen what Leicester did to City and appreciate that we have the ability to potentially do something similar?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and But what Leicester did as well is they asserted themselves from the start and does... You know, does the fact that we've not really rotated the team, we've just lost the game, does that play into this? Does that, you know, affect us potentially really kind of opening the game very, very positively and on the front foot? So uh, there's there's a lot of factors that we can but guess at at the moment that might play into this. But of course, on, on the flip side, you could say because it's become a must-win now, um, maybe that will liberate them a little bit. Maybe that will give them... Um, The kind of the the reason to to really attack them and go for them um it's it's just i wonder what this might do psychologically um and you know we're we're not going to rotate the team for this game certainly not so have those players now got another 90 minutes in their legs at short you know a, a kind of short notice as it were um, having well, at least we're lucky with it.
1: It's a Tuesday Sunday. I mean that that is yeah. at least a little better. City will have to go Wednesday Sunday. I yeah. mean, and and they don't have the benefit of Fernandinho, and they don't have the benefit of Cunegarro, obviously, which you know plays into our hands. All of that.
3: Yeah, of course. Although we've we've done quite a bit of traveling as well recently. Um, a lot of away games, kind of on the bounce. So it's it, it's tricky, um, really. I I I have a bad feeling that this game might have further consequences yet beyond the loss of the, the very avoidable loss of points.
1: Interesting. I You know, it's funny. I mean, I look at them and where they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable on the counterattack. They really have a problem at fullback. And we can put Bellerin and Theo on one side and, you know, to a lesser extent, Nacho Monreal and Oxley chamberlain on the other and get Shaka and Ozil feeding those runners and Alexis, and I think we can give them problems. What I don't trust is our ability to stay compact and organized in the face of what really is a very intimidating attack and keep them mm. out. Um, now, having said that, no Aguero obviously is a huge benefit, um, not that they don't have plenty of other ways that they can score, and, I mean, Silva is problematic, and De Bruyne is a special player, and, I, I mean, they'll probably play, what, Iannaccio? Um, yeah, yeah. Who's big and strong and quick and can cause us problems? I think we will miss uh, Mustafi on the day because I think he is an upgrade from Gabriel, and I think also he's the g- exact kind of guy who you want the ball at his feet to start a counterattack. Um, Kashelny is not as good a passer, and-, and Gabriel certainly isn't, and he looks to give the ball first to Kashelny, much the way Kashelny looks to give the ball first to Mustafi. So, interestingly, I think this is a game. We can win. I mean, I, I feel mm. bizarrely optimistic. But if you told me that it was going to be a 5-4, 4-3, 4-4, I would have no problem believing you. Um, I think we will struggle to keep them out. And if we have the kind of sharpness that we were missing against Everton, we should create plenty of chances. Um, the interesting thing is if you look at the underlying metrics, the the data... We've kind of been around the sixth best team in the Premier League, and I I know how Paul feels about some of that, but in terms of our expected goals for and our expected goals against, so maybe there was some regression that was due. We were finishing at an unsustainable rate, um, and you just wonder if we're starting to see that now uh, combined with a little fatigue. Do you think he will put this side out again, or do you think that Ramsey will come in?
3: I think Ramsey will come in. For Uh, Oxley chamberlain if he's fit, yes, yeah. I, I think that's the only change I can see. I, Who does I'd Lucas really have hope... to kill to get a game? <laughs> well, probably Theo Walcott, because I think what we're looking at is that Lucas is kind of Walcott's backup, because he's fairly similar-ish type of player. No
1: no chance um, he could take that left-wing berth from, from Ox? I,
3: I don't think so, no. No. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think the team will be pretty much the same, except if Rams is fit, I can see him playing on the left. Um, otherwise, I, I don't think he'll start a Wobie. I think it would be Chamberlain if Rams is not available. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's about the only change I can see. I, I don't know. I've got a horrible feeling that he'll pick Giroud. Um, oh, come and on. Maybe he's not gonna move Alexis that. to the left. No way. Yeah, I've, I've got a horrible feeling he's for, going to. What to what
1: effect? I mean, the one way we can beat these guys is, in the, uh, is with quick counterattacking.
3: What, yeah, what is your,
1: I, we're not going to have 60% possession. What, what does he really I offer? Just,
3: yeah, I know. I, you're you're going to move
1: of, Alexis Sanchez out of center forward for the biggest game of the season so far?
3: Yeah, I, I've just got this feeling that he's almost been like waiting for an excuse to to, you know, give, give Giroud some games. Uh, cause I've been still pretty pleased with the manager game. this
1: season, and yeah. th- those kind of Wenger out sentiments are, are you know, they, they linger there under the surface for me, but I've been really good about keeping them, you know, well below the surface, but that would, that would absolutely put me on tilt. I would lose my shit yeah. completely.
3: But, do you know, what? I, I think as well he might look at the fact that Giroud scored in both games against City last season, and, and actually it, he's got a fairly decent scoring record against City. I've just got a feeling he might look at that and, you know, the fact that f- for pretty much the only time I can think of, Giroud and Alexis actually did combine to score a goal against City as well. Very different so, City
1: with Pep than it was with Pellegrini.
3: Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I really hope he doesn't do that, but I wouldn't be massively surprised if he did.
1: Um, is actually chamberlain keeping his starting spot because the manager's just kind of shrugged and said, don't know what else to do. Has he, has he earned all the playing time he's getting or is he getting it? Because there's a contract talk looming. He's a player that the manager still thinks has a future and no one else has been good enough to force his hand.
3: Uh, he's been getting games there because, um, you know, as I've been saying for some time now, we're short on the left wing. Um, we don't have enough. I don't think we quite have enough quality and we don't have enough cover. Um, there. We, I mean, coming we, off
1: a hat trick, he would he would have been forgiven for giving it to Lucas over Ox, though. I mean, it, it's pretty clear yeah. that the manager wants to play Ox given the opportunity.
3: Yeah, I I I think Lucas, Walcott, and Alexis as a front three would, would be quite ballsy. Um, and there's not really a creator as such, although Alexis does have good creative qualities. That's, that's pretty much three strikers. Um, so I, I can't say... I could only see Perez coming in for Walcott. Um, I, I think that will be, quote unquote, his role. Um, but Chamberlain's getting game. But yeah, maybe there's a bit of the contract thing in there. And, you know, there is a little bit more end product from Chamberlain of late. But largely, it's just because we haven't got an awful lot on the left. He obviously has wanted to give Iwobi a bit of a breather, which I think has been perfectly understandable. And I think Iwobi's looked much, much better um, of late, uh, so maybe there's an element of holding him back a little bit, so that he can keep that kind of his confidence had taken visibility. a little bit of a knock. It certainly seemed it had. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I, it looks like it's come back now. Yep. Um, so you have to say the manager's probably done the right thing by taking him out the firing line for a bit. The question is, when does he put him back in? How about Sunday? Um, yeah, I you know I I'd like to see that, but um, he might just hold him back for a little while yet. Um So we'll see, but. I think there may be a bit of the trying to get Ox to sign a new contract and and things like that, but largely I think it's just because we haven't got an awful lot of convincing options on the left-hand side.
1: Are you resigned to the fact now that Francis Coughlin is the first choice in midfield, period, end of story, that whatever his limitations and whatever you think of him, there is no pairing that the manager trusts that doesn't include Francis Coughlin?
3: Um, I, I think we're getting to that point, yes. I... I still think um, Ramsey potentially complicates that because I think Arsenal would really like to have Ramsey in his team, um, and he may be the one that threatens uh, Chamberlain's place as much as anything. But largely, yeah, Coquelin starts most games now, doesn't he? And and I think, I think the one thing you can say for Coquelin is that he works with with a lot of our central midfield players. So he kind of if if you're looking. Well, because the be things he does
1: are less dependent on partnerships, right? They're not yeah, about yeah. passing to so-and-so and understanding where so-and-so is going to be. They're about running around like a madman and, and intercepting the balls and making tackles.
3: Indeed. So, you know, he's, he's a bit of, a, I suppose, a Swiss Army knife in in that uh, kind of respect in that it doesn't really matter too much who he's partnered with, although if you partner him with Nenny, that's quite conservative and you're not going to get the ball forward very much, but... Um, Yes. And, and, you know, like, I mean, he almost always selects Coquelin and has done for the last kind of two years now. Um, It's it's not very often that he's started on the substitutes bench. And, you know, Wenger's been very vocal recently, saying Coquelin's the only player he has that has those qualities to win the ball back, those kind of defensive qualities, um, and that no one else really offers that. And, You know, he said that he feels that Coquelin balances the side, and that that sounds quite emphatic, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it sure does. Um, It is an interesting position to be in because it's hard not to feel that there is a better quality player we can be using in midfield, and at the same time, we've seen a lot of different variations, and the one that works best includes him. There's just no way around Mm. it. Um, Prediction for Sunday?
3: I think it might be a draw.
1: Would you take a draw?
3: Um, maybe just because I, I do think there is a risk of losing this game now that we've, we've lost to Everton
1: okay I think we can win it, I, I do I'm hesitant to say we will win it um, I certainly was a little bit alarmed by the lack of quality but I just, I don't think you can expect Mesut Ozil to play that poorly again but um, unless there's something wrong with him, and I don't think there's anything wrong with him. So I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and say a high-scoring win. I don't think either of these teams can keep each other out. Um,
3: yeah, they'll be goals, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, would you uh, would you say that a loss ends any hope for the title, or is it too early to say?
3: Um, too early to say, but it would be quite a long way back, particularly if, if Chelsea win as you would expect them to I you know don't get me wrong I, I don't think I've ever thought that we're going to win it and I still don't um but if yeah if if we're nine points back after this weekend then um you know I think my I think I'll go to a place where I'll be thinking I just want us to get back in the race rather than right let's go and win this thing you know the upshot I, I is well of the l- equation.
1: It lets us totally focus on winning the Champions League, right?
3: Well, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's obviously it's our year.
1: Yeah, long. yeah, it's on. Um, oh, and the good news is, look, whatever happens on Sunday will probably be close enough to January by Monday where we can just talk about the transfer window. And I know for you in particular, that is all you really care about.
3: A joy. About. Yeah. Indeed, it's a joy.
1: All right. Well, you heard it here first. The Draxler Vision podcast will be coming to you on Monday. But until then, we have the small matter of a game at Manchester City. So uh, good luck to Arsenal. And hopefully we can be uh, dedicating five minutes to that win before discussing the transfer of Juli- Julian Draxler. Tim is on Twitter. at still Berto. Uh, Tim, as always, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom.
3: It, it was my pleasure. Just in, to
1: in this case it was it was my pleasure I think um, and I think the real pleasure here is that we will have Paul back at some point but uh, we thank him for avoiding this podcast and trying to tell us how on third watching we really were much sharper and better than m- both Tim and myself thought however Paul don't worry I know for a fact that we were better than I thought we were. Uh, In any event, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please give us a five-star review wherever reviews are accepted. If you'd like to give us a five-star review on some other podcast site, that's fine. Um, Just make sure you write all the nasty stuff in the comments, as always. So up the arsenal three points on Sunday, and we'll talk to you about transfers after that. Cheers.